This is Data Basement. Hello and welcome to Data Basement. So today we have an exciting topic to talk to you about and it's all about event processing. And joining us is a VP of Engineering from Solis, Thomas Gnumparath. And he has a lot of experience in event architectures and messaging architectures. Uh, he's uh, joining us now. So hi, Thomas, how are you? Hey, Daniel. Uh, I'm doing well. I can't believe you got my last name right. Not many people do that. And people call me TK for short, in case they have uh, difficulty doing that. But great job. Thanks. Yeah, I tried a few times. So it's, it's great to have you on. And, and I'm very excited about the topic today. Uh, but before we get uh, straight into it, I, I wanted for you to give the audience a little bit of your background and uh, where you come from. So why don't you tell us a, a brief history of, of your career and how you ended up where you are today? Sure, yeah, so I was, I was born in uh, New Jersey and then I went to school there uh, till fourth grade and then I moved to India for high school. And then I came back uh, to America for college. I did my bachelor's in computer science in, in New Jersey at New Jersey Institute of Technology. And while I was doing that, I also had a full-time job at a electronics company called JVC. And if, and if your audience is uh, young enough to remember VHS cassette tapes, it's probably before your time, Daniel, but, uh, but uh, the, the company JVC invented that, that format. And then after, after graduated, I joined uh, Deutsche Bank as an investment bank, which is where we crossed paths um, while I was there. And um, I spent over a decade there and I did things from developing on a fixed income trading system um, and then really understanding and owning the, the messaging break and went to Capital One, which is a credit card company. And then after a year there, I, uh, I joined a company called Solace, which is where I work right now. And I lead a team of regional systems engineers or sales engineers spread out across Canada, uh, America and Latin America. Great. Thanks for that. So that definitely gives uh, some context into who you are, which is great. Um, so the, the main topic of today is going to be about event queues and, and message queues and, and what is known as pub sub technology. So could you just give for, for someone that's not familiar with that space, uh, an overview of what exactly is pub sub? Yeah, sure. So the core idea behind uh, PubSub technology is that you aren't going to ask for an update. Update Instead, it's going to be pushed to you. And I, I really like when I'm explaining this to, to people who are not as familiar with PubSub technology, I really like to contrast that this with REST. So REST is the protocol that the, the web works on, any website works on. And so, for example, if you type www.google.com into your browser, it will ultimately hit a web server, ask the web server uh, for the HTML, and then you get the, the response back as HTML, and then you get the nice pretty website rendered for you by your browser. Um, so you know, now you contrast that sort of paradigm with a stock ticker or a watch list, which is a bunch of stocks that are streaming prices to you, either in your brokerage app or on cnbc.com or on Google Finance. And you have a list of 100 stocks that, that you're looking at the prices for. And if you were to do that via REST, it would be very onerous because that would imply 100 different 
requests for 100 different symbols and you have to do it on a polling basis. So it quickly overwhelm your app. Uh, it would quickly overwhelm the, the web server as well. So what's typically done is that um, those events or those stock prices are streamed to you. Uh, and so then you start thinking about events as opposed to request responses. And that, that's really, we're seeing a paradigm shift towards that sort of mechanism for lots of things like microservices. And it all comes down to um, what, what you call an event-driven architecture. Excellent. That's a great overview. And then we'll, we'll definitely dig a little bit deeper into um, maybe other applications. And, and as you described, and, and based on your background, this is something that is used very heavily in, in this space of, of finance. But could you give us uh, what are some ex examples of implementations of this technology and, and things that maybe the average person didn't think about, but, but that this event uh, cues had been with us all along? A lot of this, or the, this technology really was honed in, in on, on Wall Street. So since the early 90s, event-driven architectures, event-driven services was really a de facto part of any trading system. Because you think about trading systems as fast-moving prices coming into your blotter. Um, but it really didn't take off outside of Wall Street. However, since then, we um, are seeing an increased adoption and interest in event-driven architectures. Um, and so, for example, every single flight that you take in America uh, and increasingly around the world, the, the locations of those flights are sent as an event stream in real time. So you could have um, interesting applications or, or interesting websites built out of it. So there, there's this website called, called FlightAware which makes use of those real-time feeds from, from the FAA, the, uh, the Aviation Authority in the Americas. And then you also think about credit card transactions. So every credit card swipe you make, you could think of it as an event. That event can be listened to by not only the banks, microservices responsible for authorizing a credit card, but in real time, it could also be listened to as an event, do things like fraud detection, or rewards, um, real-time rewards recognition as well. So credit card rewards, it'll hit your account more quickly. And then you start thinking about smart cars. So uh, if you have a Mercedes car when you and you have a smart app, the Mercedes Me app, when you click that start button on your app, it will send out an event, which will ultimately go get routed to some server and then pushed down to your car. Uh, and then you think about smart cities as well, such as Singapore, uh, which is really prime and good example of an implementation of a smart city. So they're pushing the locations of all their buses as events. So you could, pre you could do more smart uh, allocation of buses and prevent things like bus punching, whereby you have um, two buses reach or two or more buses reach a bus stop at the same time. Uh, because of traffic or whatever. So you can now do things like space out buses and make more efficient use of the of traffic, uh, make traffic better flow, I should say. Very interesting. Yeah, so, so there's definitely a lot of use cases across industry. So, so transportation, um, also you, you mentioned some uh, consumer specific type of applications too. And as, as you were saying all these things, I'm in the back of my mind the whole time and part of the effort and uh, focus of this podcast is on data privacy and security. So especially with the 
all the IoT devices and, and all the everything's becoming a smart device and it's becoming online now, whether it's your refrigerator or your coffee machine, your washer, your dryer, there's all this data flowing and, and going in all these different directions. So my next question was around uh, data privacy and security. And from your experience, how do you think this architecture specifically is more suited for ensuring uh, privacy and security uh, of data? Yeah, so that this is a very important consideration uh, that you have to take in take into mind as you start adopting an event-driven architecture. You know, for example, the 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 example I gave where you're uh, pressing the smart start button on your smart app to start your car, you'd be very upset if somebody else pressed a start button on their app and your car got started. So you really don't want that to happen. Uh, that will lead to a whole set of disastrous consequences. Um, and likewise, if you want to unlock your car remotely as well, you want to make sure that only your app unlocks your car and nobody else's. So a huge burden for this security lies on what you call an event broker. The event broker is what is responsible. It's sort of the software that's responsible for routing the events to the appropriate endpoint, whether it be a car or whether it be your smartphone or whether it be your smart thermostat or your smart, smart key or smart lock for that matter. And so you want to make sure that the event broker has security paradigms to, to sort of make sure that the event only goes to the application or the sort of system that is allowed to see it and nobody else. And then you also want things that you would expect such as um, enterprise grade authentication. So you don't want anybody to be able to tap into this event stream, you want to have some authentication layer. And on top of that, you also want things like access control lists as well to make it easier to manage who can see what. And then you'd also want um, your data to be to be encrypted at rest. And you'd also want things like TLS connectivity. So all of that, all of those security considerations have to be baked into the event broker, which again is this piece of software or, or potentially hardware that is responsible for distributing these events. So a lot of considerations uh, for for someone that's not too experienced with this type of technology, and as 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 we start discussing and learning more about it, it mm -hmm. would think you would think or it sounds like there's a lot of moving pieces. Perhaps this is something that is not so easy to implement. But based on uh, some of the reading that I have done, uh, part of uh, what your con your company. Uh, contributes uh, to the space and, and offers uh, as a product is basically the ability to implement these architecture and these technologies in a more straightforward way. So my next question is about uh, the the platform that, that that you work on and you work with. And, and can you just give us an overview of how it solves maybe some of the complexities that we just learned about or just general uh, best practices that maybe come incorporated that facilitate the life of a developer? Yeah, absolutely. So the so Solace is over a decade old, um, and again, we we primarily we initially focused on capital markets, financial services, but we expanded out into all those use cases that I mentioned. So all those use cases, smart cars, smart cities, they're actually implemented over Solace today. So the heart of our offering is a world class event broker, uh, and it comes in multiple form factors. So we've built a really uh, rugged hardware appliance that is 
capable of doing things like millions and millions of messages a second or events a second. It has five nines of reliability and it, it, it's being used in mission critical use cases from, uh, from powering nine of the top 12 investment banks uh, capital markets message or event flows uh, to doing ground control of a $4 billion NASA satellite in space. So it's so a really rugged, battle tested, been used for over a decade um, and really nothing else comes close to the performance and, and the power of, of, this, of this hardware appliance. So we, we have and continue to have a lot of success with that product, but a lot of our customers are like, we love your product, we love your hardware appliance, but we're moving to the cloud and obviously the big cloud pro providers are not gonna allow their customers to put in our appliance in the cloud data centers. So our customer says, what could you do if you virtualized it? With that software container, you could now deploy it on your own. You want to manage the infrastructure, the IaaS. Um, could you do that for us as well? So we started messaging as a service. So today, if you go to um, Solace Cloud, which is one of our uh, offerings, you can click a button. You can have a fully managed event broker for you in a matter of minutes in the cloud of your choosing, even in a private cloud. And so that, that alleviates, going back to your point around, you know, event brokers sounds very complicated and it is. Uh, so it's a complicated piece of machinery. We've made it so simple whereby you could click a button, have it spun up for you and be able to use in a matter of minutes and completely for free as well. You don't even have to put a credit card in uh, to, to make use of this. Um, and so the broker, it, uh, so you have your event broker and the broker, the way you interact with it is through various APIs. So the way we differentiate ourselves as well is we support open standard protocols. So if you think about things like IoT, MQTT is a specific protocol that's very lightweight. We support enterprise um, server-side APIs like JMS and AMQP. And we also do web sockets as well. So you could get that streaming uh, stock pickers to your to your website if you like um, and so you have your event brokers and now the, the next challenge is increasingly customers are moving to a hybrid cloud environment whereby they have um, their appliances or or microservices on-prem that and potentially they have microservices in the cloud and they're in this transition state uh, where they need to either migrate from the on-prem to the cloud or completely migrate to the cloud or maintain a hybrid environment. And so we came up with this architectural construct called Event Mesh. Event Mesh, all it simply is, is, um, is a way to link together event brokers no matter where they're deployed, either on-prem or in the cloud or on your, or even in your private cloud. And you link these brokers together and uh, once a microservice in AWS says, I want to get events from your on-prem environment, for example, if a credit card transaction originates on-prem, it will only route the credit card transaction and nothing else to, through the event mesh to AWS. Uh, and so it's, it's, it does it through a dynamic and self-healing way as well. So you could have this very complicated distribution of event brokers uh, all around the world in multiple public clouds in your pro private data centers uh, spread out around the world and events will find its way to its location where it needs to go. And we've made it simple, so simple to create this event mesh. Again, it sounds like a very complex topic uh, or a complex sort of thing to do, but we've made it so simple whereby to create an event mesh, you just have to 
drag and drop a line from one event broker to another, and then you get an event mesh through our GUI. So we made it super simple, that made it so accessible. So, so you have your event brokers now, you have your event mesh and your, your enterprise or your application is distributing events all around the world in a very robust fashion. The next challenge is how do you manage these events that are flowing? For example, if you are a credit card company, you may have credit card transaction events, you may have fraud analytics events, you may, may have some uh, AI and machine learning events that are flowing through your event mesh. Uh, how do you know what's there? Um, and so that's our newest offering, the event portal. The event portal allows you to do a few things. It allows you to model the events. So you could say event a um, credit card transaction will lead to a credit card um, approved event or a credit card transaction approved event. And you can model that in the event portal. You could, you could visually represent that. And more importantly, you could specify what the content of those events are. So, you know, your credit card transaction event may contain an account number, it can, may contain a charge amount, it may contain a location as well. And so you could specify the schema. And now your developers have a place to go to to figure out what events are available in your event mesh. And more importantly, you could do discovery on your event mesh. You could point an agent at your event mesh and get a real-time view of what events are flowing through your, through your event mesh. So in a nutshell, that, that is our offering. And with these sort of three components, we feel that it is a great way to bootstrap and kickstart um, transforming or starting your event-driven architecture journey. Um, and again, we made it super simple and it's also free to use as well. This is good. So, I mean, in, in, in essence, it, it sounds like it fundamentally changes the, the way the data flows in the organizations and once they're able to adopt this event-driven architecture, it also helps uh, around data consolidation, data aggregation, uh, data cataloging, just be able to understand all the data assets that are available to an organization, which brings us to another uh, core topic of this podcast and something that's just actively being pursued by organizations all over the world. And that is, how do I make uh, sense of my data, how do I get value out of my data? So taking in what everything you just described and, and some of the benefits that you clearly highlighted about identifying specific data sources that may be useful, why do you think or, or how do you think uh, this technology is better suited for doing analytics? And for real-time processing, based on what you just described, I can see you're probably would go in that direction, but could you just elaborate a little bit about how it is now possible to have better analytics uh, across your enterprise by uh, using this architecture? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you think analytics, you typically think of, you know, data at rest, right? So for example, you have a bunch of credit card transactions in your database or in your data lake, and after the fact, you want to run some analytics on top of it and draw some inferences such as, has fraud been de detected? And if so, you want to take some actions. However, when you add streaming into the picture, it changes the ballgame significantly because uh, it's data in motion. So you get a data stream and you want to do analytics on top of it. And uh, you don't, you know, you're, 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 it's not something that you could query because it's a it's a it's a sort of a 
point in time representation of the events and there were many events that happened before it. So this is, there is this new sort of um, paradigm or framework or construct called streaming analytics. And there's a lot of exciting movement happening here. Uh, and so, you know, a classic example of, of the problem that streaming analytics aims to solve is say, for example, you're, you're playing a game on your mobile phone and there's a score involved and your, your score as you, what are doing, taking some action or you're playing the game, the score increases. And then you go through a tunnel or you go through an area with no reception, all of a sudden you're disconnected from the, the server. Now, when you reconnect, you're gonna push out your high score, you're push out your scores. And now the data set that the server is, is, um, is getting is sort of disconnected from time. So, you know, you may have entered the tunnel at three, three o'clock to now re recalculate my scores from three o'clock to three five. And so there's sort of this windowing concept whereby you get a data stream. It has a time element associated with it. You have to go back and recalculate the high scores that were happening uh, previously to make sure that uh, you get credited for the high score. And so there is a lot of different strategies to do that, such as windowing and, and, and boxing and, and recalculating at certain intervals. And there's a lot of different frameworks. Perhaps the most uh, interesting framework is a framework built from Google called Apache Beam. What Apache Beam aims to do is sort of unify batch streaming and, uh, sorry, batch analytics and streaming analytics with a common framework. And, and so you make uh, calls through this interface or through this API, and you could do things such as streaming analytics, and also within the same construct, you could do batch-based analytics. And uh, we're seeing a very interesting use cases um, implemented on top of this framework. So Google has this managed offering for Apache Beam called Google Cloud Dataflow. And one of our customers at Solus used Apache Beam with Solace to do streaming analytics to calculate um, for, for their trading flows. Um, and there's a really good write-up on it on Google's website. If you Google Solace and Grasshopper, which is a HFT firm based out of Singapore, you could see a whole write-up uh, about it. But it's really quite innovative. And you, you extend that to doing things like real-time fraud detection, where you want your every single credit card transactions to be transaction to be analyzed in real time. And that's what streaming analytics gives you. Based on uh, some, some of my experience in, in the past and, and what I've read, there's also other types of uh, event or streaming uh, type of analytic frameworks out there. And mm -hmm. maybe one of the more common ones is uh, Kafka mm -hmm. and, and has gained popularity, uh, especially, uh, recently. So could you give us uh, just a few pointers on what are the differences between uh, Solus and, and the architecture that you described and, and the Kafka technology and, and what, which one's best suited for what? Yeah, so you know, it, it, it requires a very high, uh, deep technical um, conversation to go into the intricacies. We, we do have a, a comparison on our website, solace.com slash Kafka, but at a high level, the way, and I've worked with Kafka and Solace and a bunch of other middleware technologies uh, throughout my career, and every tool has its purpose, right? You wouldn't want to use a hammer to screw in a screw. 
Um, and so the way to think about Kafka is that it's really good for data at rest. So if you want to um, feed your big data lake, for example, with Kafka and, and have the events persisted um, potentially forever, Kafka is a, good, is a good use case for that. Whereas if you think about you know, credit card transactions, for example, that is a temporal event in the sense that credit card transaction happens. Once it happens, it happens. And then you take action upon the event and it's, it's more sort of ephemeral. It's, it's not meant to live forever. You store the credit card transaction event in a database, for example, or the result of a credit card transaction, but the event broker isn't meant to be that store. Um, and so when you want this event distribution uh, across multiple locations and you want data movement, that's where you use something like Solace. But if you want to do um, more permanent storage of your events, um, then you'd use something like Kafka. And in fact, Solace can be used to feed your Kafka cluster. You think about data in motion, you use Solace, you think about data at rest, use Kafka. And sometimes you want to put your data into Kafka and we offer a connector that connects Solace to Kafka. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, think about data analytics, data at rest, Kafka is a good use case. Uh, now you could think about moving data between your on-prem data center or streaming data to your front end web application um, or, or even doing a hybrid cloud environment and just sending data where it needs to go and not sending data unless it needs to, unless somebody asks for it, that's where Solace would fit in. Excellent. So now you mentioned their uh, hybrid clouds and uh, maybe it's a, it's a good segue to, to one of the other topics that I wanted to discuss with you and, and that is microservices. So, so microservices are changing the game, so to speak, because they are allowing uh, application developers or technology companies in general to be able to easily deploy workloads in different environments and, and facilitate that process of, of deployment automation to a degree. And that's just one of the benefits, but focusing on that specifically on, on, on microservices and container-like technologies, could you uh, explain how the, this PubSub architecture is beneficial for, for this type of, uh, for microservices and containers in general? Typically people, and to a large extent, they still do. They associate microservices with REST, right? And so you, you take, for example, your experience or experience of a e-commerce website. And theoretically, I'm going to say this is how Amazon's flow works. But when you click checkout and we, when you click payment um, and you click, say, you know, checkout and you, you press a button to purchase, uh, your purchase request will go through a variety of steps, right? So go to your credit card issuer, then it'll also go to potentially a trend analysis microservice, and then it'll go to a potentially a fraud detection service as well. Um, so for example, if all those steps that I just mentioned had to complete before the user was provided feedback that his purchase went through, it would be a very bad user experience. And so what event-driven or PubSub technology gives you is the ability to send out a purchase event, provide the user with feedback saying his purchase has been received, and then do things like inventory checking or credit card transactions asynchronously. 
So now you have truly decoupled microservices whereby you have a microservice that is publishing an event and then you have other microservice, microservices listening to an event stream and taking actions on those events and then sending asynchronously a notification back to the user such as your the out, item is out of stock or your purchase was declined and ha having the user asynchronously um, correct those, if possible, those, those sort of uh, mistakes. For example, your credit card may have expired and and you, I'm sure we all get, got those notifications that you know your credit card didn't go through and you'd have to correct the credit card number or the expiration date and then resubmit those purchases. Those tip, those, sometimes those are, things are done asynchronously and you get notified after the fact. Uh, and so now you could develop your microservices completely decoupled. There might, you have your credit card purchase or your purchase microservice that's responsible for sending the purchase event. And then today you could have a purchase authorization microservice and that's listening to the event stream. And then tomorrow you could create a fraud analytics microservice and your purchase microservice will not have to change. All it's doing is pushing the purchase event on the, on the uh, as a stream. And then it could have n number of, or any number of microservices listening to it. And so you could build out more and more microservices without in interrupting the critical flow. So when you talk about microservices, the whole one of the whole promises of microservices was decoupling. And with event-driven architecture, you fully realize that dream of decoupling one service from the other. So it enables this technology to, to fully achieve its, its vision uh, to a degree. So, so now we spoke about a little bit of, of the origins of, of PubSub and an event-driven architecture. We, we talked also a, a little bit about what is being done today, what, what are some of the current trends. So I wanted to conclude looking into the future a little bit. So if we were to say over the next uh, five years, uh, based, based on your experience and, and as you also being a company that is driving this technology forward, why would you say are uh, the trends for, for the future of, of, uh, of this technology? Yeah, so I've been so in my role, I have to engage with customers across Canada. The next day, I will be talking to the United States Army. The next day, I might be talking to an investment bank. And what's becoming very clear is that event-driven architectures are becoming more and more per pervasive. Uh, and the reason is that one of the reasons is that customers want instant gratification. Uh, so, for example, when I take a flight. Um, I, I like it when, as soon as I land, I see the rewards or my air, airline miles instantly accrue without having to wait overnight. And some airlines are better than that than others. And the reason be, being is that some airlines, they treat the fact of me landing and checking in as an event. And that event is now able to send out a stream uh, and that stream is listened to by a rewards microservice. The rewards microservice then uh, populates my app and Gives me the give, gives me the rewards instantly, uh, whereas other other airlines they run a batch based process where at the end of the day they say okay calculate all the miles that are owed to everybody who took a flight today and then it'll take 24 hours for that to run and then only will my app get the update. So point being is that industries a lot a huge percentage of the industries are still used to doing request response or batch based processing and there's 
they're still in the early stages of being transformed to an event-driven architecture. So I see event-driven architectures being more and more adopted uh, across the board. And it's important that it needs to be adopted from a variety of form factors. So it could be with your Raspberry Pi that has a sensor to it. It could be with your smart thermometer. It could be to your mobile phone. It could be to your laptop. All of these need event-driven need to be enabled for event-driven architectures. And you need, um, you need a robust technology to, to support this event flow across these, these different sort of requirements or these different sort of platforms. Uh, and so, yeah, so in a nutshell, I see this becoming more and more pervasive. In my view, we're still in the beginning stages of it. Certainly some industries are, or verticals are, are more ahead of it than others, uh, but a lot of them are still, are still realizing the, the benefits and what it gives you to, to, create, to put in event-driven uh, architectures in, in, in your applications. I, I really like that answer because it is both very optimistic and uh, selfish in my own way as a product manager. It sounds like this technology would allow for building better experiences, uh, just overall better uh, user experience, uh, regardless of the industry. So, so that's always good to hear. So uh, we basically come to the end uh, of this episode. So uh, the only thing left now is I, I want to give you the floor uh, in case you have uh, something you would like to announce, whether it's personal or related uh, to your company. So uh, feel free to uh, talk to the listeners and tell them uh, what's going on. Yeah, so thanks for having me on. And again, congratulations on this podcast. Yeah, so all I want to mention is that everything I described um, with regards to Solace is completely free to use. So our robust event broker, you could deploy it on-prem or on your laptop or play around with it completely for free. Everything I mentioned you get with regards to event mesh, even the event portal is free. Um, and, our, and our messaging as a service is free as well. So I point your listeners to solace.com. And from there, you could get links to everything I described and really encourage everybody to try out the event portal um, and play around with it, as well as our, our messaging as a service. Again, completely free. Don't even need a credit card. You just click a button, put in your um, email address, sign up for the account, and you're off to the races. Great. Yeah. And this is great now that we are unfortunately still in lockdown. So there's a lot of uh, weekend projects that are still possible. And, and this is one of those that maybe I'll, I'll try myself. So I just want to thank you again for, for being on the show and, and hopefully we can have you again uh, sometime in the future. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. That's it for the show today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe.